0: Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. My name is Tyler and I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, Brad Evangelista, is actually away at a wedding. And so I have the great privilege of filling the pulpit this morning. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 23. So, a person's final words really are a distillation of a life's worth of learned wisdom. We have a lot of examples of those types of speeches. I think of General MacArthur giving his final address to Congress or... Winston Churchill addressing the House of Commons for the last time, or even Washington giving his final charge to the Continental Army. But we also have many of those great final addresses in Scripture as well. We think of Joseph's final dying words to his brothers, or maybe Moses as he's giving the final charge to the nation of Israel that can really be summed up in God loves his people. I think embedded in all of those types of addresses or, or last words or last will and testament types of things is, is the embedded desire that the people that hear it would go into the future having learned lessons from the past. So I think the common theme amongst all of those is the idea of Remembering. You see, the human condition is prone and, and debilitated by an arrogance of forgetfulness. And so the need, the call to remember, is exceedingly great. And so that's where we find ourselves here in Joshua chapter 23: is Joshua is gathering the leaders of Israel together and giving them his final words for what he would have them to do as they go into the future as God's people. Starting in verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these, to all of these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that, the written, that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God." just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he has promised. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off of this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed from all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us this morning. I feel an, over, an overwhelming sense of need of your faithfulness, God. God, I am weary. I am not worthy even of the task that I am given to at this moment. God, I know that there are many in here who are weary that are coming and they are are burdened by their lack of faith. God, may we see you this morning as abundantly faithful and good to your people. God, may we see ourselves as emptied before you this morning. May you be magnified and exalted before us, God. May we see clearly who you are, Lord, and what you have done for us from your word, God. May we see that your promises do, in fact, not fail. God, may we orient our hearts and our minds to you this morning. May we look away from ourselves, God. We pray and ask that you would give us Lord, your Holy Spirit, to understand and apply what it is we see this morning, because if it is not so, there is no hope that we will understand. God, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would work these truths into our lives and that you would, as the seal of our lives in Jesus Christ, change our hearts and orient our desires and our thoughts, our minds, God, to that which pleases you. God, we pray this because we see that you are faithful, even when we are not. Be with us this morning, God. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to the book of Joshua really by way of the Abrahamic covenant, in, in Genesis 12 and 15, the, the covenant that God made with Abraham, that he would make Abraham a great nation, a great people, that he would bless them, and that he would provide a land for them to dwell in. Well, as that nation is established in, in Genesis and moving on to Exodus and all of the rest of the Torah, we see that the nation ends up going into a time of captivity, They are delivered out of their captivity in Egypt. They are given over to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness in which they have a new covenant established between themselves and God through Moses, the covenant of law. We see them going into the desert, pursuing this land with which God has promised them and having consistent bouts of obedience and forgetfulness and disobedience and repentance. Repentance. As we come to Joshua chapter 23, we see that what has happened as we've entered into the book of Joshua is that the nation has finally obeyed the Lord their God, and he has been faithful to do that which he has promised, and he has given them this land. They have gone in and they have conquered the land. They have have portioned it amongst the nation, and they find themselves in a time of peaceful covenant obedience. Awaiting the Lord to do that which he has promised in full. And this is where we find Joshua in a time of obedience, in a time of covenant faithfulness. This is where we find Joshua urging the nation to remember. And so he gives them three reasons, really three reasons. Three foundations or three bases for understanding why and what they must remember. And so as we come to the book, I think think the first reason is in verses 1 through 5, and it's this, that the promises of God are the foundation of his faithfulness. If you are to remain faithful, you must remember that the promises of God to his people are the foundation of his faithfulness. I think the opening verse here in verse 1, it's not really a part of Joshua's address. It was added at a time later as the author of Joshua has recorded all that has happened. He gives us kind of almost handles to understand everything that we're about to see in the book of Joshua. And not only that, I think the entire Bible The opening phrase, when the Lord had given rest. It's not just a passing, flippant phrase that we see here in Scripture. What he's saying is that the entire world is orchestrated around the will of God. That which he promises, that which he sets his mind and will to do, will certainly come about. As you see this final charge, as you hear it with your ears, as you see what God has called you to do as a people, don't forget that God's will never fails. That nothing thwarts what he has promised or alters what he has promised to do to his people. Dear Israel, remember This is the foundation of his his charge to the people. You certainly know the promises made to Abraham and that were established with his sons, Isaac and Jacob. You know those. And I'm one of you, so I know that you've experienced those. So trust that the God... The Lord your God will fulfill them. You know them, you've experienced them, trust Him to fulfill them. What He's trying to establish in the people, what we're supposed to see here, is that faith is actually in the unseen. It's not as if Israel hasn't experienced God's covenant faithfulness, but there is going to be a time when Joshua is not with them that they must remember and carry all that God has done into the future, trusting in faith that God will fulfill everything that He has promised to His people. This means when the time comes for you to be tempted by the nations and to go into them and to whore after all of the things that they offer, you must remember that God will fulfill all that He has promised. In the lowest of times, in the most hopeless state of your sin, you must trust in the faithfulness of God to what He has promised. So the call is simply go into the future with your faith grounded in God's ability, not your own. Don't go into the future thinking you are capable of doing that which God requires of you. Don't be tempted to think that you are stronger than you are. Don't be tempted to think that you are more faithful than you are. You must go into the future knowing that God is faithful and that your trust and your faith must be grounded in His ability. Verses, verses 3 and 5. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Verse 5, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God has promised. He wants them to understand that faith is in the objective work of God, not in the subjective emotional feelings that you can conjure up inside of you. Faith is in the objective, experienced, reasoned work of God, not how you particularly feel on a given day. Joshua understands this actually very well. Do, do, do you remember, and maybe you don't, when they were first supposed to go into the land of Canaan and, and to spy it out and to see this promised land and, and to go in and kind of be a, a a forward troop to say, listen, everything that God is saying, we can do that here. Well, Caleb. And Joshua come back from that, that advance party and they say, listen, we can do this. What God has promised us, he will surely deliver us, from, to, he will surely give us because he has said. For no other reason than God has said he will do it, we should go. But the rest of the spies say, listen, no, I've been in the land, those boys are big. Their, their cities are fortified. There's no way that we can go into the land and conquer those people. And Joshua and Caleb said, no. We don't go conquered on the basis of the feelings of faithfulness that, oh yeah, God will be faithful because I, just, I really feel it today that he's going to do what he said. We go because he simply said he will do it. I think that I'm really amped up because this is really the message that I have needed. That God is faithful to his promises, period. And that when I don't feel faithful or I feel inadequate or I don't fill up to the task that I've been given to do because my life is not worthy of what God has called me to, that my ability is not what it should be or my desire to, to speak as eloquently as I could be is not where it is. I've not been in this long enough to be a veteran of preaching. Whenever I have all of these little temptations, I need to remember that God is faithful to do what He has promised and that He will fulfill what He has called you to do simply because he says it not because of how you feel about it I shouldn't be here doing this but God is faithful to his promises what he calls us to will surely come to pass I think that this should resonate with the believer very deeply. We're not talking about a leap of faith. God's not calling us to a faith that's just jumping in blindly to something. We're called to look around and see all that God has established through his provisions of grace in our life. We, we, don't, we don't see them. I know that you've never seen like a weird hand come out of the sky and like orchestrate things in your life. But they're undeniable. We see that faith is on the basis of God's action and not on the basis of how we feel. Listen to me. You are going to feel most faithful when you are worshiping the Lord, whenever things are going well, whenever you're in a room full of believers singing great songs of the faith. You're going to feel that your faith is adequate. You're going to be tempted to feel that you can actually do this. That you have the power and ability from within to be faithful as God desires you to be. That is perfectly. But let me tell you from experience and from from your experience that whenever you're parenting a difficult child or a child in general, you sometimes don't feel that faithful. Whenever you're trying to minister and witness to your unsaved family members and you can't quite get your point across and they're just not seeing how clearly it is that God is evident in the world, you're going to be tempted to not feel so faithful because you're not able to do that which you believe yourself to be able to do. God's, our faith has to be grounded in God's simple pleasure, his simple will, that which he has said he will do, not on our ability to do it. We we, we are really going to struggle in our faith. We're going to struggle to grow in our faith. You're going to continue to have doubts and questions. If you think that you build your faith up by simply being faithful enough. Hebrews 11:1 is, is is a clear picture that the assurance of faith is simp- the the assurance of our faith is simply hope. It's the conviction of things unseen. Your ability to be the maximum amount of faithfulness is not where you will find your steadfast faithfulness. The reason we doubt is because we do place so much confidence in our flesh. We look as if we're supposed to be able to be the most faithful person or, or we look around at the, the progress of other people's faith in their walk with the Lord and we just look at ourselves and say, what is wrong with you? But the reality is, is that our confidence is not found from within. It's found from Without. The confidence of faith is not here. It's not what I can do. It's the conviction that God will work all things according to his promises. Clear and simple. And so as Joshua continues, he establishes that Israel's gaze must be focused on God's faithfulness to do all that he has promised. But they're not supposed to just sit around and act as if everything will just work out fine. The the certainty we have moving from verses 1 through 5 is that God will bring about his promises. He will be faithful to that which he has promised to do. But Israel is still called to actively possess the land that God has given them. So we see that the second point is this, that God's faithfulness requires that we live in obedience. God's faithfulness requires that we live in obedience. If if he is faithful to his promises, and there is no question that he is faithful to his promises then we must, because of His faithfulness, seek to obey Him. It's not as if we just rest in the promises of God, call it good, call it a day, and live as we please. There are demands on the believer, there are stipulations on the people of God to obedience. And so we see, there's there's this adverb therefore that begins in verse six, and it really kind of explains and highlights a particular doctrine. It's this that God is both sovereign and human is res- and humankind is responsible. If God is faithful not on the basis of your faith, but on the basis of his promises that he has made, then you are to be obedient. That means God is sovereign over all things in the world and you are still responsible to him. I think in our reform circles, a lot of times we don't really want to talk about that. And I don't think it's because we don't understand it. I think we have a good theology. I think we have a good grasp of understanding the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God. I don't think we fully understand it because we can't. But I think we feel very comfortable seeing that the Bible teaches that God is in control of everything, and yet man is still responsible to act. But here's the reality. It's just simply in the Bible It doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to be something that you understand fully or I understand fully. It's simply here. And if it's here, we must try to understand what it means and how it informs our way of living as believers in the world. And I think really the lesson that we learn from it is this, that neither God's sovereignty nor man's responsibility is fake. Don't think for a moment that God is sovereign and therefore you can just do as you please. That he has worked salvation in your heart and you can just live however you want to live, hit church every now and again, and be good. Because that's not what his word says. But it also doesn't say that you have the ability to work your way to God and win his affection over and woo him by being a good person. Because he's still sovereign and he still gives the gift of faith. Mind blown. And so that's where we understand our obedience in relation to God's faithfulness. And and, and listen to this. God is faithful and He deserves to be obeyed. But what Joshua tells the people here is he's not just saying, hey listen, you've seen what God has done. You know His promises. You've, You've experienced God's faithfulness in your life. Now, can you just go and try to live good lives? Can you, can you go and just try to be good people? No, the standard that he gives is, because God is faithful and you're called to be obedient, adhere to the law and do not turn to the left or the right. Adhere to the law And do not turn to the left or right of any part of it. What he is doing at this moment for the people is that he's saying, listen, your obedience must mirror God's faithfulness. As faithful as God is to you is as deserving of your obedience to him. God has delivered everything that he has promised. Not one thing has failed from the promises of God. Therefore, you must obey him without error. That is a high calling. I think at this point, I would be like, Joshua, can we just stick with verses 1 through 5? Can we just stay there a bit? Because you built me up and now you're kind of tearing me down. He warns them, listen, don't cling to the world around you. Cling to God. You're going to be tempted to look around you in this land that I have given you, that experience of my faithfulness. You're going to be tempted to be en- enveloped in that and look around and say, mm, I'd like to have some of that. I'd like a little of that God in my life. Really like what they're selling over there. What he's saying is don't cling to the things that I've driven out from before you. Don't be like a dog going back to its vomit. You've seen what I will do. You've seen that I have made it come to pass. You have heard that I will fulfill it in the future. Now go and found your faith there. Even in the most difficult and most tempting situations. Found your faith in the promises of God. God. Remember, don't forget the faithfulness of your Lord. You see, that's what the world does to us today, even still. We we walk around, especially as believers, and the, the world just keeps telling us, hey, why don't you just be your own God? You know, this life is really a lot better when you kind of dictate what you get to do and when you get to do it. Joshua says, don't do that. I mean, he, 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 he goes so far to talk about it, ripping out your eyes and all kinds of craziness there. Don't do it. But here's the thing, and I really hate that I realized this. I mean, I really hate it. So God says, hey, listen, we, we've done what God has called us to do. He has, he has given this, us this land. We have been faithful to obey him up until this point. And because God is faithful, we're going to need to continue in perfect obedience to him. But Joshua knows that they're not going to be able to do this. Look with me in in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses uh, 14 through 18. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die speaking to Joshua, or the Lord speaking to Moses, call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him, Joshua. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the temple. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because all the evil that they have done, because they have turned... To other gods. So, so why doesn't Joshua just gather the people and say, Hey, thus says the Lord? We have a lot of accounts of people saying, Thus says the Lord, and urging people to repent. Why not do that? Why tell them that God is faithful, and because He is faithful, you must obey Him? Why call them to do something they're not going to do? I think it's this. I think it's for them to learn something and, and for those throughout history in the church would read this and, and seek to understand who God is and how he works and the depths of his promises. And it's this. The call to perfect obedience here in Joshua 23 that Joshua charges the people with, it highlights man's inability to obey God and shows us that God is faithful when the human condition seems hopeless. It highlights the fact that we're not able to obey Him like He requires. And that even in that hopeless state, God is faithful. Look Deuteronomy chapter chapter 30, right before God tells him that they're not going to obey, he says this in verse 6, "...and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live." Do we really think that the disobedience of Israel at this moment is going to thwart or alter God's good promises and his faithfulness to his people? Do you think that he will not deliver to Abraham what he has promised by his very name simply because a lazy bunch of losers can't obey him? By no means. And so, what appears and seems hopeless to us in this moment is actually not hopeless at all because God is faithful. We're supposed to hope in God's faithfulness, not ever in the law. We're supposed to hope in God's faithfulness, not ever in our ability to be faithful. Our hope is to be founded in God, not in our flesh. He's telling you, trust me. Everything that I've promised to this nation, I've fulfilled. And even here in Joshua, when they will gather and they will commit and Joshua will even proclaim, as for me in my house, even after they do all of that and still disobey, my promises stand. We're supposed to see that every attempt to please God on our own ends with us forsaking Him. Every attempt in the flesh ends in forsaking. From the very first of God's creation to the very last of God's creation. If we believe that we are able, by our own power, to do that which God has called us to, we will forsake Him in a second. Because our flesh will fail us every single time. So we see that God is faithful even when his people aren't faithful. Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 30, 31. Verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God is faithful even when his people are not. God is faithful to a faithless people. And his promises still stand. And we see in Hebrews 13 that he he equips us to do everything that he requires and he gives us every ability to please him. Look at Hebrews 13, this speaking of the new covenant that we just read of in Jeremiah 31. Hebrews 13, verses uh, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, that is the new covenant, Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What we see is that God is faithful. And all of his faithful promises culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are called to be obedient and perfectly so. And we see too that it is through Jesus Christ that we are given everything we need to please God and satisfy that which he requires of us. So when we look at the hopeless state of Israel here in Joshua and their impending disobedience, we understand that God's faithfulness to them will be realized in Christ Jesus and His people through Jesus will be given a new heart to do that which He requires and that which pleases Him. That is our reality in Christ. That is your reality when you feel that you have no faith or that you're, you have the weakest faith in the room. The real reality is that in Christ we have been freed from sin to then fight and put sin to death. What seems hopeless in one scene realized fully in Jesus is actually the greatest hope ever. You're not going to be given over to your disobedience forever. Because I'm sending one who will work within you an obedient spirit. And so I just find myself overwhelmed. thinking of all the things that I need to do, all of the things that I should be, the, 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 the milestones I should have reached in my faith, I look at this and I just take a deep breath. It's just so refreshing to my soul that God is faithful to me even when I feel so utterly Faithless. When we feel that the sins of lust, you know, those hopeless sins that we'll never be able to put off, the sins of longing to be desired by other people, the longing to walk in the room and be the most buff or the skinniest or have the best makeup or whatever it may be, those aren't hopeless. We've not been given over to it as if it will conquer us. That's one of the things I hear the most is if I could just get rid of this one thing, if the Lord would just take it from me. Believer, He set you free to fight it. Fight it. It will not conquer you because God's promises don't fail. He's not giving His people over. He's not brought us this far to lose us. That is our hope. Simply that God has said, I'm going to write my law on your heart. I'm going to work in you everything that you need through Jesus. That's it. That is faith. I've experienced it. I've not seen it, but I know and I have the assurance And the conviction that it is real. And that God has given me everything that I need, even my faith. And if he's given it to me, then he will give me over to grow in it. Hope isn't lost. If you're here this morning and you think that your faith will never be above the surface level that it is right now, I promise you that that's not true. If you will seek after the Lord and strive to obey Him and seek to do that which pleases Him, I think you really have no option except to grow. Because again, there's no reason I should be here doing this So we see, I think, I think Augustine summarizes this really well. We have the quote on the screen. He summarizes the responsibility of man and the faithfulness of God in this. My whole hope is in thy exceeding great mercy and that alone. Give what thou commandest and command what thou wilt. What he's saying is create within me the ability and I will obey. You should pray that every day. Create within me the ability to do that which you command, and I will do it. Call me to the mission field and give me the ability, and I will do it. Call me into ministry and give me the ability, and I will do it. Call me into the marketplace to live as a believer amongst an unbelieving world and to do fair and honest business for the flourishing of those around me. Give me the ability to do it, and I will do it. Our hope ought to be grounded in God's steadfast faithfulness, not in our abilities to do anything. Because your flesh will fail you. And so this is faith. The assurance that in Christ, God has done all that he has promised and that he will supply all that we need to obey him. But Joshua doesn't stop here. As we close, there's there's a real negative damp note that he ends with. And as a preacher, you want to just not preach that part. As a Bible reader, you want to just happen to like look up for a second and flip the page and be like, "Oh, I picked up in Jeremiah or where Jeremiah 24 that's what we want to happen, but, but, but he doesn't do that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What comes next has been given to us for our edification, to admonish us, to drive us toward God and to pursue him in obedience because he is faithful. And so the, the final thing we see is that recounting God's faithfulness teaches us a proper fear of God what we see is that Joshua ends here in verses 14 and 16 saying that understand that God's faithfulness is matched by his justice. As faithful as God is, is as just as he is. That means the stipulations to obey, they're real. The call to obedience on the believer's life is real. That's the mystery of sovereignty and responsibility. God will do everything that we need him to do, but we're still called to act on it. So as they, as Israel moves into the future, they're responsible to be faithful. Look at verses 14 and 15. The reason they're responsible to be faithful is, is this. Verse 14. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord has, your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given. The reason, the call to obedience is on the basis of realizing that God is faithful to give every good thing and he's faithful to destroy everything every bad thing. So when I, when I read this, I, I thought immediately to Psalm 34. Verses eight and nine. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right, Joshua says, you've seen every good thing, you've experienced every good thing. And the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. What he's saying here at at this final, the, the final charge of his address is this. You've tasted every good thing. Now realize that the one that gives good things, he will utterly destroy the wicked things and so you must, having tasted all that is good and having, having inherited those promises, flee to him for refuge. Your experience of his goodness should push you towards him for safety, for refuge. You should fear that outside of his obedience is his wrath. And so we see that what he's telling them is that God, God's fear-inspiring goodness should drive them to z- desire that which God desires. God's fear-inspiring goodness, that he has the ability to give them rest, that everything he wills comes about, it should drive them to do that which he desires. It, it, is, it is a call to desire and be conformed to the object of your faith to not look here and be conformed to the level of faith that you have at any given moment but to look at the faithfulness of God in fear all inspiring reverence and say he is abundantly good my faith is found is steadfastly founded in him and that's where i'm safe and that's where i'm safe alone and i want to conform my life to that I want to conform my life to that which God desires. I want to be faithful because he simply calls me to believe. The reality is that God chose Jesus as the object of every bit of that wrath for those who believe in him. That Jesus Christ the the fulfillment of the new covenant whereby the law would be written on our hearts, whereby we would be put in a state of being able to do that which God desires and that which pleases him. He took all of that wrath for us simply because we believed in the promise of God that he would do it. So we end, I'm gonna end with this quote. John Piper writes that meeting with God is like being caught in a storm on an Arctic glacier. He says this, At first there was the fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life. But then you found a refuge and gained the hope that you would be safe. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanished from your heart, only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling, the awe, the wonder, the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such a power. The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch right in the middle of it. Oh, the thrill of being here in the center of the awe-inspiring power of God, yet protected by God himself. The charge this morning is to remember. To remember that God is unwaveringly faithful to his promises and that he alone is worthy of all that we have and all that we are. This morning, would you simply lift your eyes from yourself and see that God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have established your faithfulness from the beginning of time. And that not in the 66 books of the Bible has your will been thwarted, has your will been altered or changed, or your faithful promises overcome. And neither will they in our lives. God, work within us, a faithfulness that cannot come from within us. God, we admit this morning that we are at your mercy to do that in us which pleases you. God, may we look and see that you are faithful to do what you've promised. And God, that that is where our hope is found this morning. May we found our faith there. May it be the launching pad of our growth. May we go into a world not preaching works, but God, grace and mercy and abundant faith simply by believing in your Son, the holy provision of all that you have promised to us. God, be with us as a church. May we we never turn from your word. God, may you ingrain in us a faith to remain steadfast to you. May we not find ourselves 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 years from now having gone into the world and been given over to it. God, may we be firmly founded in your promises and in your covenant. Encourage us this morning. But may we see, God, that while you are good, You are not safe. Your wrath is real. And the only safety we find in the midst of that wrath is in the refuge of Christ Jesus. Drive us there this morning, we pray. Amen.